This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're happy to have you listening today. This is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? And I write uh, a couple of blogs, including the Legal Blog Watch for Law.com and my own blogs, Law Sites and Media Law. Well, it was like a scene out of a Hollywood movie this week, uh, described by one news reporter as the ground zero of the financial crisis. The collapse of 158-year-old investment bank Lehman Brothers sent their employees packing, cleaning out their desks and scattering onto the streets of Manhattan. Uh, on September 15th, shortly before 1 a.m., Lehman Brothers Holdings announced it would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, citing bank debt of $613 billion, $155 billion in bond debt, and assets worth about $639 billion. Yeah, that's a billion with a B, Bob, right? Uh, That's right, a problem we don't have. (laughs) Well, while Lehman Brothers, the fourth largest firm on Wall Street, filed for this bankruptcy due to the credit crisis and falling real estate values, failing Merrill Lynch is agreed to be bought out by $50 billion by the Bank of America, or so we think. And with the threat of a snowball effect, uh, AIG uh, on the verge of collapse was was saved by the government. And on a positive note, I guess Barclays has agreed to acquire Lehman's North American investment banking and capital markets businesses uh, for $250 million in cash. Uh, I think there are other assets there as well valued beyond that. And there have been discussions to acquire Lehman Brothers select operations outside of North America. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers, the largest in history, how the lawyers will unravel the company's assets, what will happen legally for stockholders, customers, and the impact of all on the economy, and analyze what the legal options and legal strategies might be for this situation. So on today's show, we have attorney John Penn, who's a partner at the firm of Haynes & Boone LLP in Fort Worth, Texas. John has more than 23 years of experience representing parties in business bankruptcy cases. He's a board-certified lawyer in business bankruptcy law, certified by both the Texas Board of Legal Specialization and the American Board of Certification. Attorney Penn represents the Bombay Company in its Chapter 11 case and Kitty Hawk, Inc., the nation's largest non-integrated overnight carrier that was successfully reorganized under Chapter 11. John's also the past president and past chairman of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Welcome to the show, John Penn. Good to be with you, Craig and Bob. And joining us next uh, is Attorney Victor Bass, a partner at the firm Burns & Levinson in Boston. Mr. Bass has more than 30 years of extensive experience in all aspects of creditors' rights and bankruptcy law, primarily in Chapter 11 cases. Mr. Bass has played key roles in some of the largest Chapter 11 reorganizations nationally and is regularly involved in mid-sized corporate reorganizations and complex individual cases Uh, Although he primarily practices in the New England region, uh, he also has handled cases uh, throughout the country and represents clients in various industries, including healthcare, real estate, high technology, retail, wholesale, and international trade. Welcome to the program, Victor Bass. Good day. 
Well, uh, let's let's talk about we want to talk about Lehman, of course. And John, I wonder if we could just start with you, and, and perhaps you could just bring us uh, uh, up to date in terms of where we stand right now, in terms of what's happening uh, in the Lehman bankruptcy uh, uh, legally. Right now, what we've had is a few of the very first day hearings, which are fairly common in any case, to get uh, some employee issues taken care of. And uh, they've also appointed a creditors committee as well. That uh, happened fairly quickly. And then yesterday, they approved, or the court approved, the sale of some of Lehman's operations. Okay. And, and John, just your perspective on this. I mean, this is being called largest bankruptcy of its kind ever. Uh, how important is this from your perspective and where you stand? It's definitely an important case because it's been a long time since we've had one of the big investment houses file. We had what uh, Drexel file back in the 80s. And anytime you have one of your large financial institutions going through the insolvency process, it starts to have impacts throughout the rest of the markets. If for no other reason, then it causes other people to get a little uncertain about uh, what they're doing as well. And Victor, how about you? What's your perspective on, on kind of the, the, the importance of this case, the significance of it? Well, first of all, uh, it is clearly unprecedented in terms of size. Um, you, you mentioned uh, $639 billion of listed assets. Uh, I did a quick check, and I think that is larger than the total listed assets of all public companies uh, that have filed in the last five and a half years since the beginning of 2003. So this is not just the largest case ever, but the largest by uh, by quite a large amount. Uh, and just from that fact, it, it has a significant impact. Uh, but I uh, agree with what John said. It's particularly unusual and important uh, because it is a large financial services company, and it's been quite a while since one like that has uh, has occurred, and and they are unusual. What role does the government play in this? I mean, we've seen the government step in with AIG. It stepped in with Bear Stearns. Uh, why did they leave Lehman hanging? Well, I guess maybe we just learned the answer to the question, how big is too big to fail? Uh, you know, $639 billion is apparently not too big to fail, uh, but a trillion is. Uh, I'm obviously speaking a little bit facetiously because the... Uh, the circumstances, the context has something to do with it. If uh, Lehman Brothers hadn't just filed, maybe AIG wouldn't have been rescued. Uh, and the interconnections between AIG and uh, financial markets all over the world were, were deemed a bigger risk by the government, obviously, than uh, Lehman Brothers. Uh, but, uh, you know, that that's something very unusual. You don't see the government playing such a large role other than the taxing authorities who participate in many cases, uh, you know, in your typical Chapter 11. But when you get big enough to have worldwide impact, the government obviously has to pay more attention. Some are beginning to call it uh, a form of social capitalism, that uh, what we're moving into right now. How does, the, uh, how does that play into the, the concept of the bankruptcy and, and being able to uh, erase these kind of debts, John? Actually, it's not really a matter of erasing as such, because what you're going to have is you're going to have at least some semblance of an orderly process to 
monetize those assets. Fancy way of saying they're going to end up selling off the parts and converting that into cash. And so the amount of the total loss that is ultimately borne by the creditors is still it's still uncertain. And a big part of that is going to be driven by how much confidence people have in the overall markets because that's what's going to drive the value of the various components of Lehman that get sold off. If people stop having a lot of confidence, the value goes down, the loss goes up. If what has happened in the last week is viewed in a positive sense so that people get a little more confidence, then you'll see the value of the the parts uh, maintain at least a level where the losses won't be as great. And so, at this point, the the I mean, is the role of of the bankruptcy court uh, really to kind of buy time to uh, allow those parts to be dealt with, or or is the is the court going to have a, a more active role in this? Well, the court has uh, an active role in uh, in all bankruptcy cases, but I think buying time is uh, is a very useful phrase. The automatic stay uh, allows laymen the opportunity to have the time to do what it was unable to get done before it filed uh, and uh, creates time to try and maximize the value of the assets with the participation of all interested parties. And uh, that's this is an unusual case due to its size and, and due to the fact that uh, it is an investment bank, but it is not unusual uh, in the sense that uh, it is a company in financial distress that has sought the protection of the bankruptcy code and that will work its problems out under the same rules that apply to everybody else. Uh, and as John said a minute ago, you know, it's way too early to tell how big the loss will be, but the purpose of Chapter 11 is to have a court-supervised consensual process to maximize the value of those assets for the best interest of all the constituencies. One other thing that it does is it provides something you cannot get outside of the bankruptcy process, and that is one-stop shopping. Because all of the sales of the parts, if you will, are going to go through the bankruptcy funnel, as opposed to people trying to dismember the company in various proceedings, hither and yon. They all have to come to one place and go through one process, which also gives more of a stability instead of looking more like you're just throwing Lehman out uh, to the piranhas. And not just uh, stability in that sense, but also in the sense that it's a public process, and that should help to instill some confidence on the part of all those with an interest in Lehman uh, that things are being handled appropriately uh, and that the value is being maximized. Roger Parloff is a uh, fortune writer who writes a, a blog about law. And I don't know if you saw, he had a, a post yesterday in which he, he talks about the the fact that, uh, or, or at least his suggestion that, that the bankruptcy laws, uh, the automatic stay is not as effective with respect to a financial institution um, as it might be against other types of debtors. Uh, is that your understanding? And if so, why would that be? And John, I'll throw that to you. Well, it's really two different questions. And first, on a financial services firm, there are a number of uh, security transactions that are just simply carved out of bankruptcy protection entirely. 
a lot of uh, swaps and uh, credit support vehicles that are just not protected by the bankruptcy to begin with. But the other thing to remember is that you're dealing with a holding company here as opposed to dealing with the various uh, subsidiaries that are the operating companies. And so while it gives some protection for people trying to go out and take the companies away, um, a lot of things being done at the subsidiary level with the operating companies, it's business as usual that those uh, companies should still be going through their regular business transactions without much impact from the bankruptcy. Because the automatic state doesn't apply to the companies that are not in bankruptcy, the subsidiaries. Correct. Well, what happens to the employees and, and what happens to the um, investors in Lehman, the regular you know, Main Street people? I guess the worst news probably is for the investors, although they've seen a lot of it lately. The, the value of uh, the equity has been dropping like a rock, and the bankruptcy is not good news for them. Uh, it is noteworthy, of course, that Lehman listed more assets than liabilities, uh, which is a statement by the company that it believes uh, that its equity holders still have a stake. I haven't seen if there's been an equity committee appointed. I would assume that there will be an attempt to get an equity committee appointed. Uh, but as is true in any bankruptcy, the stockholders come behind the creditors. And so uh, I think what most people are talking about here is how much of a loss will the creditors uh, take and not a thought that there is a lot left for the stockholders. Which, when you're talking about how much of a loss the creditors take, the question of how much of a loss will the stockholders take is answered by saying everything, because the stockholders will lose it all. Under the absolute priority rule, that, that's certainly so, although uh, there's always the possibility uh, that uh, there will be some stockholder participation sort of designed to try and maintain some slim piece of uh, equity or warrants or something uh, under a consensual plan in, in return for going along with it. Uh, and I, I took Lehman's uh, declaration of solvency by saying it had more assets than liabilities as uh, an attempt to do what it could for the stockholders there, whether that will have any effect in the long run. Uh, it's probably too early to say, but I share John's uh, uh, pessimism, I, I would express it, uh, on behalf of the stockholders. And when you talk about having you know, something that the stockholder might come out of the bankruptcy with uh, as some form of participation, uh, sometimes those are referred to in the slang as a hope certificate, because that's about all it would be is some kind of hope for something to come out in the future. Well, we've you know we've seen other financial collapses in in the past that have have clearly had uh, significant ripple effects i guess within within uh, in terms of not not just uh, direct and derivative uh, litigation i mean if if that's the case if this is the largest bankruptcy i mean are, are we likely to see a, a tsunami effect i mean it, apart from cons uh, you know creditor and and uh, and shareholder litigation uh, is this likely to have ripples uh, beyond the immediate consequences of the layman case it's certainly likely to have ripples. Uh, obviously, there's a long way between ripples and a tsunami effect, and, uh, and the question is where in between uh, is it likely to fall. I would suggest that the, the government clearly feared uh, the tsunami, and in light of Lehman, uh, they made an almost immediate decision the next day 
to bail out AIG so that uh, this record uh, would last at least a few days. Um, AIG would have been in, uh, even 50% larger uh, than Lehman Brothers, and uh, it was deemed too large to fail and, and uh, has been you know, propped up and uh, perhaps saved. But clearly, unlike the biggest bankruptcies before this, uh, say uh, an Enron, uh, where there was a problem within the company itself that triggered the bankruptcy and widespread allegations of fraud, uh, this is a situation where Lehman may have made some bad investments, undoubtedly made some bad investments, but to some extent was caught up in a, in a broader economic problem, not specifically of its own making. And uh, it's that broader economic problem that people are still trying to get the, uh, the boundaries of. Do you think that there will be any kind of criminal prosecutions that will arise out of this? I mean, at some point in time, somebody's got to realize that it wasn't a good idea to uh, loan money to people that didn't have any income and couldn't afford uh, how much a house was going to cost. Well, there was an interesting interview in the in the Globe, Boston Globe today, uh, with Barney Frank, who uh, you know is active in uh, financial regulation in Congress. And uh, his inclination seemed to be not to point the finger at the heads of the specific companies involved, uh, but to blame uh, the regulators. Uh, he was specifically asked uh, whether any of the regulators were asleep at the wheel and, and suggested that uh, Alan Greenspan wasn't asleep. He was walking around saying, no, 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 no. He didn't forget to regulate. He believed as a matter of fundamental ideological principle that you shouldn't regulate. Um, that was, uh, you know, the reaction of, of one influential member of Congress. But I think whatever happens in the election, uh, my expectation would be that uh, the financial services industry is in for some more regulation, which won't solve this problem except indirectly by building confidence, but it will be an attempt to avoid future such problems. And the real balance there will be is whether the regulations that get imposed as a result create the next wave of problems or if they are so restrictive that they start to have a negative effect on the economy in general, thereby going over in the other direction. So it, uh, regulation is important, but it is definitely a balancing act. And it's a, a tightrope, if you will. Yeah. Well, back in 1939, as we kind of edged out of the depression, uh, the worldwide depression, Winston Churchill said something like, we, we haven't yet seen the beginning of the end, but we've certainly reached the end of the beginning. Do you think we're at that stage at this point? It is entirely too soon to tell. That's one you can really only tell after you've been in it for a while. I, I guess I would concur with that, but I would uh, express the hope uh, that we're uh, at least at that stage. Of course, you know... Uh, that comment was made by Winston Churchill before, uh, well, at least before we got involved in uh, World War II, and there was a, a very long way to go before uh, uh, the world returned to normalcy. Well, there, so there I was, don't know. If we look back at the at the Depression as a bit of a model, which it seems like it's you know uh, almost looking like it's going to be a repeat of it from some of the collapses that we're seeing, uh, we got out of the Depression in large part because we got into a war. Well, I don't know uh, that we're in a depression now, and I think you know the debate over the course of the last year has been whether we are in or about to be in. 
uh, a recession. Uh, and I'm one who would say that uh, you know the filing of Lehman Brothers is obviously somewhat shocking and is certainly a very bad event, but is not an indication that the sky is falling. Um, you know, the Chapter 11 is there to deal with problems like that, and it's certainly been used more often and is dealing with more such problems lately. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to expect uh, a depression. Um, your, your comment raised the interesting question, which is perhaps more political than economic, as to whether the uh, the war that we are currently in may have had something to do with getting us into the economic problems we're in, as opposed to more being a way out. But uh, what's the the phrase that's been bandied about a lot lately? I think that's above my pay grade. <laughs> Well, uh, it's time for us to take a short break. Uh, We will be back in just a few minutes to talk more uh, with John Penn and Victor Bass. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Visit westlegalworks.com to register for the 12th Annual Electronic Discovery and Records Retention Conference being held October 21st and 22nd in New York City. For more information, visit westlegalworks.com. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayhavepleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at legalline.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, A healthy dose of humor and wit. Online video is one of the best ways to get the message out about your firm. And Legal Channels is where your firm should be. You can have your firm's video produced by TV professionals and seen on Law.com, Legal Talk Network, and YouTube. Find out more at Law.com or LegalTalkNetwork.com. Just click on Legal Channels. A video settlement documentary is a powerful tool. It can turn your plaintiff's case into money at the settlement table. Call the professionals at Skyways Communications at 781-551-9960 to find out more. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back our guests, Attorney John D. Penn, a partner at the firm of Haynes and Boone in Texas, and Attorney Victor Bass from Burns and Levinson uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, one uh, perhaps uh, lawyerly question I might want to ask is is, uh, is about the judge in this case. Uh, the the case has uh, been filed in bankruptcy court in Southern District of New York, uh, and Judge James Peck, as I understand it, is uh, overseeing it. Uh, it, it. Within a bankruptcy case such as this, uh, how much uh, does the the particular judge involved color what happens with the case and and uh, if that does play a role, what do we know about Judge Peck? I'll dump, I'll jump into that one first, and that is the judge involved is very important um, because of the discretion that the judge has, as well as the amount of control the judge has over the calendar. In that, how things are brought up for decisions and how quickly those are made. So judges can be very important players. And as far as Judge Peck goes, I believe he's one of the most recent appointees to the bench in the Southern District of New York. And aside from this being, of course, the biggest thing he's ever had before, I haven't really run across him that much. So it's, it's a blank slate from 
where I'm sitting over in Texas. I was happy to let you jump into that because I have no experience with Judge Peck, uh, and, and so I, I can't uh, can't add anything to that part of the response. But I certainly concur with you that uh, the judge plays a very major role and has a significant impact. What about the bankruptcy law itself? Is the bankruptcy law equipped to handle a, a situation as large as this? Well, I think the law is is really designed to handle situations of any size. Uh, the bigger the case, and, and this is, of course, the biggest, um, the more complex it is likely to be just because you, you, you start adding zeros and uh, people find things more worth fighting about. But uh, I, I don't see any reason, I don't see anything about this case that it would suggest it shouldn't be able to be handled as any Chapter 11 is. It'll just be uh, a little more complex and probably a little slower. And the courtroom will be a lot more crowded. <laughs> That's for sure. Although it's interesting that uh, the list of largest creditors that was filed, uh, the largest creditor here, which was uh, Citibank as indenture trustee for, uh, I think it was the senior notes, uh, they were listed with a claim of $138 billion. That is a larger claim in that one creditor than there has ever been in any other bankruptcy case for all creditors. So there may be a lot of concentration in those claims as well. There's certainly going to be a lot of attorneys in that courtroom. What uh, what do you ballpark a figure at for attorney's fees in this case? Big, <laughs> really big. Yeah, I haven't seen what the, the retainer was that my uh, friends at Wild Gotchall took to, uh, to handle this case, but... Uh, the um, they're going to have a very large and very busy team for a number of years. Uh, the case was uh, filed by uh, Harvey Miller, who's the, the senior guy uh, at Wild Gottschall, uh, who I was involved in a case with uh, many years ago. Uh, and his uh, Harvey's, uh, I, I would hope, at a point where he isn't going to be carrying the laboring ore in the case. Uh, but the guy who looks like he's going to be carrying the laboring ore is a... Uh, a college classmate of mine who I saw at a reunion this spring, uh, I have a feeling he may still be working hard on this case at uh, the next reunion in five years. And, and again, what about the uh, the political uh, uh, repercussions of all of this? We are obviously in an election year. Uh, are we likely to see uh, legislation or policy changes uh, generated? Are we already seeing talk uh, of that coming out of this situation, John? I think you'll see more talk about it than you'll see action about it, just because there are so many, or there are so few legislative days left in this year before the election. And that is that Congress, I think, is really only scheduled to meet through the end of September, and then they're going to go off to run for re-election which leaves precious little time to accomplish anything legislatively. Um, there's going to be a big effort, as in any political season, to try to point to how perhaps the regulators under one administration did not do something, but then again you had a lot of ties to the other party inside of um, Freddie and Fannie that contributed to, or that those entities collapsed, contributed to the overall problem that we're dealing with. So there's going to be lots of stuff flying around. It's going to hit a lot of people, but um, what effect it ultimately has, nobody really knows. 
I think that's that. absolutely right. There's going to be a lot of proposals between now and the election, a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of blame, uh, and there probably will be some legislation in the new year, regardless of the outcome of the election. What, what kind of legislation should we expect to see? I mean, what type of regulations could go into place that would have avoided this kind of a downfall? What, what should the regulators have been doing? If, if Barney Frank is right that uh, the regulators were asleep at the switch, what should they have been doing? Part of that goes back to what did the legislators direct the regulators to do? Because the regulators get the regulatory authority based on whatever the law is that Congress had imposed. And um, so far, you haven't really seen that much of it come back and land in Congress's lap about what was allowed or not allowed. Uh, You'll probably end up with a lot more limitations on the types of loans that can be made, um, perhaps going back to uh, having a certain amount of equity invested uh, in the various homes before they're allowed to be financed. So as far as those kinds of changes, you can expect that. Uh, whether it goes on beyond that about reporting, probably that uh, they'd have to have more financial reporting and disclosure, but I don't know that there's a whole lot more they're going to be able to accomplish. I think the key word may be transparency and that uh, whatever legislative proposals ultimately are adopted are going to be in the direction of trying to uh, limit risk and make whatever risk is in financial instruments uh, clearer, if not absolutely transparent, uh, to the holders. Well, uh, John and Victor, we're getting near the end of our time for this half hour, and before we conclude, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give your final thoughts, uh, and also, as you do that, to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up uh, or find out more about you. So, John Penn, let's start with you. Sure. Um, I think this really is an example of the ancient Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times, because we're definitely in an interesting time at this point with... uh, both economic and political uh, currents swirling about and not really sure about how it's going to come out. Uh, to get a hold of me, I'm at uh, Haynes and Boone in Fort Worth. Uh, our website is haynesboone.com. That's H-A-Y-N-E-S-B-O-O-N-E.com. Click people and John Penn. And Victor Bass, your final thoughts. Well, I guess I'll just repeat uh, what I already said, which is that I do not think the sky is falling. I think the bankruptcy code was designed to handle problems like this. And, uh, you know, bankruptcy lawyers like uh, myself are, are engaged in the business of economic recycling, and that's what's going on here. Uh, uh, people are still going to make investments. There's still going to be investment banks, uh, however they're owned, and uh, whatever becomes of the assets that are involved in this particular case. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we'll get through this interesting time uh, and hopefully uh, return to a calmer one. Uh, if you want to reach me, uh, I'm at uh, Burns and Levinson in Boston. That's www.burnslev.com. Uh, or uh, you can reach me by phone at 617-345-3290. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much for participating today. That uh, does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. Uh, and one more reminder that we are still planning our anniversary show. We've been broadcasting for three years now, and uh, we are going to do uh, a third anniversary show in the coming weeks. And if you'd like to be 
part of that, uh, send us an email to lawyer to lawyer at legaltalknetwork.com with L2L anniversary guest in the title of your email. We're going to welcome some of our listeners onto that program. Uh, and also a, a reminder that you can hear our shows uh, on the, uh, in the podcast library at iTunes as well. And just let me add my thanks to our guests for participating today. We'll be back next week with another interesting topic. We'll see you then, Bob. See you then, Greg. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.